The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Global markets under pressure after Fed Chairman Jay Powell signaled what will likely be the central bank's first rate hike of the pandemic era. Not once to wait, investors getting ahead of the Fed pushing bond prices lower and yields higher. Yields have hit their highest level in years. Musk makes history once again. Tesla reporting its best fourth quarter results ever as vehicle sales surge. Investors, though, not impressed. Call it a chip triple dip as a number of semi-stocks get punished in the pre-market despite surging demand and upbeat outlooks. The names to watch ahead and talk about catching a stock on sale. What hedge fund billionaire Bill Ackman says about one company that's seen its market value cut by 25% just in the recent days. It is Thursday, January 27, 2022. We're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off your Thursday morning with U.S. stock futures. Call them well off session lows at this point here. If you take a look at what's happening, the S&P is implied higher by roughly six points. The Dow Jones by 15, 17 points and the Nasdaq by 56. To put this in context, check out this chart, though, of the Nasdaq 100 futures just over the past 12 hours. We had been indicated lower by almost around 2% at one point. And look at this. We've rallied back in just the last couple of hours to actually see positive territory. We're now implied higher by, again, just about 56 points. Now, this morning's action coming after a mixed day of trading yesterday that saw the Dow fall another 130 points after the Federal Reserve suggested it has plenty of room to raise interest rates before it would pose a threat to the U.S. economy. Checking now on the Treasury side of things on the heels of yesterday's comments from Fed Chairman Jay Powell, you can see 10-year Treasury note yields just a hair above 1.84%. Two-year note yields, though, going higher, just a little below 1.19%. So a big move higher in that shorter end of the rate. And by the way, that two-year note yield trading at its highest level since February of 2020. We cannot leave the crypto market alone because we have seen a lot of volatility there as well. Right now, it's predominantly to the downside for much of the crypto space. Bitcoin prices down by about one and a third percent, 36,540 thereabouts for Bitcoin. Ether down by about two and three quarters percent, 2439, the last trade there. And what's likely to be the stock of the day, it's Tesla. Shares right now, as you can see, moving to the downside by just about one half of one percent, but a hugely volatile trade in just the kind of like the after hours pre-market session going into the closing bell. And then, of course, 
all the way through the pre-market trade as well. So the company reported fourth quarter results that came in well above expectations. Revenues were up 65 percent year over year. But Elon Musk and company warning supply chain issues will likely persist in the year ahead. We've got much more on that stock throughout the course of this morning. But Tesla shares volatile trade now down about one third of one percent. Let's go around the world. Red arrows pretty much across the board in Asia overnight. Europe just getting its trading day really going. Let's send it out to CNBC's Rosanna Lockwood in our London newsroom with the latest there. Yeah, Dominic, that intense roller coaster ride you just showed us for the Nasdaq futures, similar journey we've been on this morning in Europe, in fact, opening heavily in the red. But as you can see now, more of a mixed picture across the board. Some steam gaining in some of these indexes, particularly here in London, the FTSE index up by around uh, four tenths of a percent. The FTSE MIB, remember, presidential elections ongoing in Italy, up by around the same. The IBEX in Spain, outperformer for the session. Meantime, though, the Cat Cajon in France struggled to get above the flat line and want to watch out for the DAX in Germany, it's down by three-tenths of a percent. And that is despite the fact that Deutsche Bank posted very strong earnings results. Indeed, a banking propping up a lot of these sectors. In fact, let's take a look at those sectors. It's struggling to pick up the DAX, though, Deutsche Bank. Interesting to note that. But yeah, I want to point out banks here up by one and nine-tenths. No big surprises, given we did have that uh, Fed announcement, much as expected, will be a boost to lending rates for many banks, not only in retail, but of course, investment banking, M&A activity too. One also to look at travel and leisure. Yesterday, this was the outperforming sector. It is down. There is a lot of weakness today. There's individual stories in airlines. Uh, but ultimately, it's tech that is weighing heavy in Europe today, Dom. All right, Rosanna Lockwood, thank you very much for the update there on the European trade. Back to our top story here at home and the Federal Reserve in a surprise to almost no one, signaling it could soon raise interest rates for the first time since December of 2018. The Fed statement saying a quarter point increase is likely but falling short of a specific time frame during that discussion. The FOMC also didn't say exactly when it would start reducing the Fed's massive balance sheet, but it did outline how it would go about doing it. Jay Powell says the Fed could move on an aggressive path. I don't think it's possible to say exactly how this is going to go. And uh, we're, we're going to need to be, as I've mentioned, nimble about this. And um, the economy is quite different this time. I've said this several times now. The economy is quite different. It's stronger. Inflation is higher. The labor market is much, much stronger than it was. And growth is above trend, even this year, uh, let alone last year. So all of those things are going to go into our thinking as we make as we make monetary policy. All right. Let's get some more insight now on the Fed and with the markets with Komal Sri Kumar, president of Sri Kumar Global Strategies. Sri, it's great to see you this morning. Let's talk about the comments from yesterday from Fed Chair Jay Powell. The markets are reacting more volatilely these days, arguably much more in response to what the Fed could do in the coming months than anything geopolitically with regard to Russia and Ukraine. Is the Fed in a position right now, in your opinion, where we can navigate this rising rate environment without throwing the U.S. economy into recession. Good morning, Dom. Great to be with you. And the answer to your question is no, the Fed is not going to be able to do it in a successful fashion. Typically, a a soft landing, which is always the expectation or the preference of the Fed, is seldom achieved in actual practice. And the reason is, look what happened, and based on what you said a few minutes ago, Dom, 
They talked in terms of forward guidance in the past. You had Jerome Powell telling us repeatedly that inflation was transitory. He kept repeating that there was going to be no increase in interest rates and everything was hunky-dory. So he gave you a lot of foreign forward guidance when you didn't need it. Just now, when the markets are volatile, when you need some help and a clear guidance from the Fed on how it's going to proceed and the questions that were asked yesterday, what pace at which will you reduce the balance sheet? Will you increase the interest rates by 25 basis points or 50 basis points? There were no answers. He was not going to tell you anything. And in terms of the 2 to 10 spread, which you referred to as well, Dom, it is flattening in a hurry. This is all against what the Fed wants. The flattening can quickly move over to a negative spread, which means the two-year will offer you a higher yield than 10-year. And if that happens, it is going to be a precursor of recession. And I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing where it goes, but I think Jerome Powell doesn't leave you much of an option to looking at a much more deterioration overall in the market. Sri, Sri, I, I, I wonder, you mentioned so many of these, these, these headwinds that you're seeing right now, but we know that the markets, specifically the equity ones, have been reacting in part to maybe what you're forecasting for. But is there a scenario right now where you can explain how it is that the markets are as volatile intraday as they are, what exactly is happening with regard to what you're seeing in, in positioning or, or sentiment? Why exactly can we go from a thousand point down day one day to closing up and then seeing futures this morning go from 2% lower to being modestly positive in the span of three or four hours? There is an intense amount of uh, speculation, uh, Dom, which is partly contributing to it. And secondly, there is a lot of option action and people who are taking short-term positions, trading positions, which are again reacting to these developments. So on top of that, when you, give, when you throw in the uncertainty about the Fed's next moves, and for instance, we have moved from not looking for any interest rate increase in 2022, that was the prevalent view just a few months ago, to looking for up to five increases in 2022 alone, when you have that much of a range, it is not surprising that the day-to-day -day volatility also increases because there is an intense amount of diversity in what investors expect may happen in the markets. And that's not going to go down, Dom. The Fed's moves yesterday, the press conference when we accentuates it. All right, Sri Kumar, thank you so much for your thoughts this morning. We look forward to hearing from you in the coming weeks as we see all that the Fed is unveiling in, the, in, in, in its strategies here. Uh, to, to a developing story now this morning, Hong Kong is actually cutting its quarantine rules for incoming travelers. As of February 5th, those entering will need to isolate for 10 days as opposed to the current 21 days. But Hong Kong's leader, Carrie Lam, is urging people to stay home and avoid gatherings over the Lunar New Year, that's coming up big right now. You can see a live shot of Hong Kong there on your screens. Let's get to some of this morning's other top stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Good morning, Dom. Yeah, Dom, so shares of Netflix are higher in the pre-market after Pershing Square founder and CEO Bill Ackman revealed late yesterday that he purchased more than 3.1 million shares of the company in recent days. The move, worth north of about $1 billion, 
follows a steep sell-off in shares of Netflix and makes him a top 20 shareholder. Ackman says he's a big fan of Reed Hastings and thinks investors are ignoring the long-term potential of the streaming giant. Netflix shares are down more than 26 percent alone in the past week. Moderna is starting a clinical trial to study the safety and effectiveness of a booster shot that specifically targets the Omicron COVID variant. Moderna says the first participant in the phase two trial has already received a dose of the Omicron specific booster and expects to enroll about 600 adult participants. Moderna shares under pressure in recent weeks and higher in the before the market opens. And Apple is reportedly planning a new service that will allow small businesses to accept payments directly on iPhones without the need for any external hardware from companies like Block, formerly known as Square or PayPal. According to Bloomberg, the company has been working on the new feature since 2020 when it paid about $100 million for a Canadian startup that developed the technology needed for a phone to accept tap payments. Dom, they're just making it easier and easier for us to spend money. They, they should. And with an economy <laughs> driven by consumer spending, it's probably a good sign there. Yep. Thank you very much, Silvana. You got it. When we come back on the show, pinning the supply chain crunch squarely on the consumer ahead. RBC's outlook for the year ahead and the stocks you should be watching. Plus, some unusual options action when it comes to tracking volatility. Market Rebellion's John Najarian joins us as well. And later on, Fair Leads' Katie Stockton reading the tea leaves and the technicals when it comes to the market's recent downturn. Is it buy the dip or sell the rip? A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back. Supply chain struggles are continuing around the globe with almost every company mentioning the impact in some way or another on their earnings conference calls. And according to RBC, those struggles may not let up anytime soon, at least in the United States. Joining us now is Michael Tran, head of digital intelligence strategy at RBC Capital Markets. His research analyzes the pace and direction at which the gridlock and the ports is trending. Michael, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Digital intelligence, take us through a little bit about what that means. What kind of data are you looking at? Is it, is it the traditional port blockages and everything else? Or what else is kind of shaping your view on what's happening with supply chains? Sure. Thanks for having me, Dom. Look, our approach with digital intelligence strategy, which is a brand new research uh, vertical within RBC, where the idea is we look at 
thematic research powered by data science and alternative data. Look, our approach towards looking at major macro issues is anything but normal. So for example, when you talk about the ports, what we've done is we use geospatial analytics to monitor 22 of the world's largest and most influential ports. What we do to try to understand what's happening at each port is we effectively use a geofence or we draw a boundary around the port, the offshore port. And then with that boundary, what we effectively do is we leverage or monitor uh, ship transponders, so AISs. And what we do is we look to see when they enter our boundary, when they are ultimately discharging at the port, and when do they leave the boundary. And effectively, what we've been able to do is monitor the pace at which ships are moving, navigating in and out of our boundary. We call this the time of turnaround. And I think what's really important is with the port of Ellie and Long Beach, which is, of course, the, the major port that we're all so focused on, what we're seeing is that it's taking roughly seven days to turn that ship around. And versus pre-COVID, that's about 3.5 days. So it's taking twice as long for each ship to really circle through the port. And the last thing I'll add here, Dom, is we're able to leverage um, foot traffic and understand geolocation to, to understand how many people are actually at the port. What we've seen is that the Port of LA and Long Beach, we've actually seen a pretty significant rebound in foot traffic, which really gives us confidence that this is not necessarily a worker shortage issue. This is a real consumer demand issue in terms of the port backlog. So, so if it is, I mean, the, the Biden administration has has made a lot of a, a lot of comments yeah. about how they're trying to solve these issues, that traffic is getting back to normal. What do you mm-hmm. see trend wise? Is it moving in the right direction? And if so, how long does it take for us to get through all of these issues? So such a great question. Look, I would be cautious in calling for a real trend or timeline right now. And the reason why, Dom, is look, back in the fall, when supply chains were, were all the craze, we all really thought that things would linearly improve. And I mean, why wouldn't we, right? To your point, number one, we saw Biden call for the ports to open 24-7. Number two, we also all thought that as COVID starts to taper, more longshore workers would come back to work. More workers means more efficiency. You move more freight. And number three, post the Christmas surge in buying, we all thought, of course, if you're buying less stuff, there's just less um, ships to show up at the port. Now, if you have that trifecta, naturally, a logical person would think things would improve or loosen up. Now, what we're seeing is that some of those things are, are really rare uh, red herrings. And, and the reason why is the port is just so overwhelmed due to the massive inflow of, of demand for consumer goods. Sure. Now, I want to be clear, this is agnostic of COVID. I mean, our math is showing that these ports were just never built to handle this level of ships or this demand for goods. So hypothetically, if consumption were to remain as elevated at current levels, i.e. demand for goods continues this strong, again, hypothetically, these ports would just never clear. Interesting point there, Michael Tran. It makes a case there that maybe infrastructure is a big part of any kind of solution going forward. Michael Tran at RBC, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Still on deck for the show, the morning's first set of big money movers, including a chip triple dip, with investors showing no love for semi-stocks, plus Elon Musk, dashing dreams of a 2022 Cybertruck and $25,000 electric vehicle. But he is very excited about one thing. Find out what it is when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Four stock stories of the morning and what we're calling a chip triple threat. First up, Samsung. Lower in Asian trading, the chipmaker reporting profits rose 53% in the fourth quarter, its best result in four years. That was in line with the company's forecast, but lower than analysts expected due to the conservative shipments of memory chips. Now, Samsung expects a recovery in demand for tech devices this year, but warns of ongoing supply chain and COVID-related issues. Those shares down about two and three quarters percent in Korean trading. Number two is Intel, also lower in the pre-market despite posting record fourth quarter revenues. But the company's first quarter profit guidance did fall short of estimates. While Intel is confident about demand and its ability to manage supply chain issues, CEO Pat Gelsinger expects those constraints to linger into next year. Intel shares off two and three quarters percent in the pre-market trade. And by the way, Gelsinger will be on Tech Check later on today at 11 a.m. Eastern time. A must watch interview there. And on the other hand, shares of Seagate are jumping After the disk drive maker gave an upbeat outlook predicting wider margins ahead, Seagate also reporting its highest revenue quarter in more than six years on strong demand from cloud data center customers. Those shares up 7% in the pre-market trade. And finally, check out what's happening with Teradyne shares right now, down 15% sinking after first quarter guidance fell well short of projections. That offset better than expected fourth quarter results on stronger demand across test and industrial automation markets. Teradyne designs and manufactures testing equipment for high profile clients, including Samsung, Qualcomm, Intel, analog devices and Texas Instruments and IBM, amongst others. Well, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Dom. Good morning. President Biden is wading into a new political battle over the future of the U.S. Supreme Court. A source confirming to NBC News that Justice Stephen Breyer is scheduled to appear at the White House today with the president. The 83-year-old justice is expected to formally announce his retirement from the bench. As for who could take his seat... Kenda Johnny Brown at Brown Jackson has emerged as a front runner. She is a Harvard Law graduate who clerked for Justice Breyer. She was confirmed last year for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Also in the mix is Judge Leandra Kruger, who has served on California Supreme Court since 2015. She has argued several cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. And if confirmed, the 45-year-old would be the youngest justice on the bench by about five years. Now to the growing crisis in Ukraine. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the U.S. offered Russia a, quote, 
serious diplomatic path forward, but rejected Russia's demand to ban Ukraine from joining NATO. This as Russia ramps up its military drills on the border of Ukraine. A Western intelligence official tells NBC News Russia has 112 to 120,000 troops along the border in a 60-battalion tactical group. And the record-setting Jeopardy run of Amy Schneider met its match last night. Schneider's streak of 40 straight victories came to an end after losing out on Final Jeopardy. She finishes her historic run with nearly $1.4 million in winnings. Chicago's Roan Talsmo was crowned the new champion. As for Schneider, she'll be back for Jeopardy's Tournament of Champions this fall. And even more valuable than that, for some, she... She's representing when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community, so I'm sure she's proud of that. Dom. Very high profile for sure. Sir Francis Rivera, thank you very much for those headlines. Straight ahead on the show, it was Rogan or Young, and Spotify has made its choice. The latest developments in the Neil Young versus streaming giant saga that's coming up straight ahead. We'll be right back. Futures and global markets under pressure as the Fed gets set to tighten the reins for the first time since 2018. Investors unimpressed with Tesla and its record four-quarter results as Elon Musk lays out the challenges for the company in the year ahead. Chips are a big part of that. Plus, Apple gets set to report its latest quarterly results later on today. What one industry analyst says is the number one headwind facing the stock ahead of that big tape. It's Thursday, January 27, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan today. And here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. I'm going to call them stable, but this doesn't tell you the whole story. The S&P is implied higher by two points, the Dow Jones lower by just 15, and the Nasdaq higher by 29. It looks okay, but check out the action over the past few hours. We are well off our session lows at this point here. You can see at one point the Dow Jones futures 400-some points at one point. I checked later on this morning, and it's been a steady rise over the course of the last, call it two or three hours, to just about flat for the Dow Jones futures. The Nasdaq, by the way, Nasdaq futures are down about two-some percent and have now rallied back to positive territory, so the volatility continues. Watching yields now as the Fed signals its first interest rate hike since 2018. It may likely come in March, right near two-year note yields, a hair above 1.18%. So we've seen a move higher pretty sharply in the two-year side of things. Meanwhile, the 10-year note yield ticking modestly lower to 1.84% with the last trade there. By the way, the 30-year long bond, 2.14%. Oil continues to tick slightly higher. You can see right now the trade for oil has been to the upside by just about a quarter of 1%, $87.59 the last trade there for U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate Crude up 16% just on a year-to-date basis. And on the crypto side of things, we are seeing a move lower pretty much across the board in crypto as, as we speak. Bitcoin prices are down nearly 1.5%, 36500 or thereabouts. Ether prices, 2436 that's down nearly 3%. Let's stick now with the markets and bring in Market Rebellion's co-founder and CNBC contributor, John Nigerian. You'll see him oftentimes on the Halftime Report. John, it's great to have you here this morning. Let's talk about what you think 
is driving so much of this market volatility. I just mentioned the Nasdaq futures are down about 2% at one point just three hours ago or four hours ago, and now we're back to even. It seems like this volatility has been a theme for the last several days. Oh, yeah. Uh, For all of 2022, Dom, thank you very much. Um, Yeah, it is uh, one of those things you wish sometimes for higher volatility because things are boring. They're nothing close to boring right now. Um, the volatility, the m- amount that the market's expected to move, and that's what we're talking about there, has been going up, up, up. Um, and just in days, too. I mean, it used to take us, you know, we'd grind a little lower, get down to 17 vol. Uh, that's the VIX, the spot VIX. And then all of a sudden, a pop back to 20. Now we're seeing wild swings from, you know, 20 to 37 and right back down towards 20, but it never really gets there. Um, so right now, Dom, we've got a lot of these VXX. That's the uh, short term. Um, it's an ETN, an exchange uh, traded note uh, that this one tracks the short term volatility futures. And some people have been very accurately trading this one back and forth, Dom. It's moved from 19 last Thursday, I think it was, up through 27 back down. Now they're betting maybe it makes another move to the upside. All right. So if the VIX and, and, and volatility is, is the theme and it reigns supreme right now, is there anything that tells you that it could continue for, say, the next few weeks or months or throughout the course of the year, given the fact that we pretty much have been told at this point that the Fed is going to do what it does with rates and the balance sheet throughout the course of this year? Well, um, in the VIX itself, um, and they have futures that expire every month for the VIX, in that, Dom, we've seen uh, some pretty crazy upside speculation all the way out till April. Um, Whether it's upside speculation, meaning the market stays volatile, or whether that's just protection being put on, your guess is as good as mine. But um, in this ETN that I just described, that VXX, we're seeing that one Um, They're trading very, very short term. Um, Yeah, that's a short term futures trade. um, But this one, they uh, they had nailed the one a week ago. They bought the January 20 calls. They paid about 90 cents for those when that VXX was 19. It traded up, like I said, towards 27 this week. They took off the entire position. But now late in the day yesterday, They started layering in, again, another one that expires next week, Dom. So um, not for the rest of the year, I can't tell you, but in the short term, they're saying the volatility might not be over yet. So, so John, if if we do have these elevated levels of volatility, what can traders, what can investors do with that kind of relative expensiveness in in volatility in the options market? Is there a strategy that you're laying out for some of these stocks? I mean, we Mm -hmm. talked about Tesla last night. Apple's coming up right now. What exactly can you do with this kind of volatility that can help you either profit or protect your profits? Well, there's a lot of people right now that are buying S&P 500 puts because, uh, you know, that's that's one of the protective measures because normally volatility when it's high um, is telling you that people think that the market um, is continuing lower. On the other hand, Dom, um, we, Pete and I, my brother and I, like to feast on that fear when the volatility gets high, that's when I like to get back into committing uh, capital into the stock rather than options. I sell the options 
because I don't think it can maintain the high levels of volatility. And just quick, since you spoke about it, Dom, Tesla last night was burning to the upside in the after hours. I know you know that, but you sure. know we were through whatever, 975, and they were buying upside calls. This morning, like you said, it's back down to like, eh, but the earnings, I mean, the earnings I thought were spectacular. Right. If Apple can do that, I think we'll see uh, the volatility ebb and this premium will start shrinking back down. So a lot hanging on Apple, no doubt. But those Tesla earnings were pretty good, Dom. All right. Interesting points there on the options market and the relative expensiveness out there. John and Jerry, and thanks as always for the thoughts. We appreciate it. Now time for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Silvana. Hey, Dom, thanks. Yeah, so first up, we're taking a look at ServiceNow. Shares of the cloud company jumping on its first quarter earnings where it reported better than expected results. ServiceNow also naming its current chief product and engineering officer to the position of chief operating officer. Next up, we've got Lam Research. Shares of the semiconductor company falling in the pre-market after sales for its latest quarter fell short of estimates. The company attributing that miss to fresh supply chain issues that worsened in late December. And last, we are taking a look at Lending Club. Shares of the fintech company sliding significantly despite reporting strong earnings and revenue in its most recent quarter. The company did issue weaker than expected guidance indicating that net income for the first quarter would likely come in lower than Q4. Dom? All right, Silvana Hinal, thank you very much for those big money movers. Coming up, digging into Tesla and the one thing Elon Musk is actually excited about in the year ahead. But first, as we head out to break, some of your other top stories. Lowe's is opening Petco shops inside select stores in Texas, North Carolina, and South Carolina. It's part of a pilot program. You see those shares higher there. Shares of Hostess brands are popping in the pre-market on news. The company will join the S&P small cap 600 next on February 1st. And it was Young or Rogan, not both, and Spotify chose Rogan. The streaming giant granting Neil Young's wishes and has taken down his entire music library from the platform after the rock and roll star called out Spotify and podcast stars like Joe Rogan for spreading disinformation about COVID-19 vaccines. Young had boasted over 6 million monthly listeners on the service, listeners that will now have to look elsewhere for a heart of gold. See what we did there? We are back after this. Let's check out what's happening with futures right now. The S&P is implied higher by three points. The Dow Jones just about flat, and the Nasdaq up 30 points, but that doesn't tell you the whole story. It's been way, way, way worse at one point during the uh, pre-market session right now, so we've recovered a lot of those losses early on. Sectors this week, check out what's happening there. You can see, first of all, that you know from a year-to-day basis, the worst-performing sectors so far are consumer discretionary and technology, communication services. Maybe no surprise there. And so, again, the downside leadership has been there for sure. Coming up on deck for the show, why Katie Stockton is not hopeful for an entire or for an equity market rebound anytime soon. She's got the technical bear case coming up ahead. But first, CNBC is now accepting nominations for the 10th annual Disruptor 50 list. To nominate your company, scan the QR code that you're seeing on your screen right there or go to CNBC.com slash disruptors for more information. Disruptive companies coming up. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. One of the things that a lot of investors have been focusing on is the pullback in the Nasdaq and whether or not it does represent some kind of a buying opportunity. They've been saying that for the past few days now, but it seems to continue trending lower. As you can see here, we are now down roughly about 15, 16 percent, though, from the record highs that we saw. The Nasdaq composite, though, going through a lot more volatility in just the last couple of days. Just to the downside move here, you can see that's the part that really has investors concerned right now. Is there a bottoming process that could be there anytime soon? Let's also look at a couple parts of the tech trade that are especially interesting right now because software and this particular ETF that tracks it, the iShares Expanded Tech Software ETF ticker IGV, is now, you can see they're down actually 4% on a one-year basis, negative during that span. And a lot of that has come in just the last couple of months here, a sharp downside move for technology, specifically with software, names like Adobe and Microsoft, a big part of that story. And then it's Tesla. We saw the earnings report come out last night, but for Tesla, there has been this notion that it's been trending lower as of late. But is there an area of support where we could see some buying interest in Tesla? And is it approaching those levels right now? That's a big question many Tesla fans and investors have right here. Let's get more insight on how other key support levels could be in the market with some other insights. Katie Stockton is founder and managing partner at Fairlead Strategies. Katie, it was just about three weeks ago. We were doing a program for CNBC Pro subscribers. We talked about Tesla. We talked about small cap value versus growth. Things looked very different back then. What has changed for you technically, chart-wise, in the last three weeks? I mean, very obviously, it's a loss of momentum that's been pretty broad-based, and this follows a loss of market breadth. So we've lost the participation of a lot of stocks on the upside, and of course, the result is a pretty sizable downdraft in the major indices. You mentioned the NASDAQ 100. That's where it's really been pronounced. And of course, it shows a bit of a chink in the armor of the mega caps, including Apple, including Tesla, both of which have pulled back pretty markedly. So we're contending with this. And the question, of course, is out there as to whether this is just a pullback or is it the start of something much worse? What do you think? Is it the start of something much worse or, 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 or is it something where people have been dipping their toe? I, I mean, you cannot have the kind of intraday volatility that we've seen, not just on the future side, but on the cash side of things as well for equities without some buying interest coming in to buy some of these sharp moves lower. Who's got it right in the near to medium term? I do think we'll see something worse, maybe not something much worse, at least initially, but something certainly more prolonged than we've been accustomed to. And a lot of that comes from the charts that compare pretty uh, equally to the late 2017, early 2018 period. We, I think we discussed that together. There are some signs of upside exhaustion on the monthly charts. So we rarely ever see these. These are something that pop up maybe every two, even three years. So we have these active overbought downturns on the monthly charts of the major indices and certainly a lot of uh, stocks. And then you have the heavyweights like the Tesla and Apple, which of course are relevant this week, really impacting these major indices in a negative way. The good news is that the market is very oversold short term. So you have this long term overbought and yet a short term oversold upturn. And, and I do think that that gives way to a bounce here. Uh, Tesla, of course, is not reacting that favorably to earnings, but um, there is support for these mega caps and they are more oversold than they are overbought from a short term perspective as they come into these reports. When you look at all of the, the, the charts that you see, specifically with regard to that big consumer discretionary technology communication services trade, 
Are there any stocks that stand out to you that could be candidates for people to put on their shopping list? And is Tesla one of them? Could Apple be one of them if we see a reaction to the downside after earnings tonight? Yeah, you know what? I'm not recommending adding new long positions at current levels for the major indices. It's really top-down oriented, that view. What I want to see is a lot more out of the charts in terms of intermediate-term turnarounds. What I think we have here is just a very minor short-term turnaround. So I feel that while you could have a position that works over the next week, maybe two weeks, that you might be disappointed with that position six weeks out from now. So I'm not recommending new long positions, but I would always have a shopping list of new Names that you want to add exposure to into these corrective phases, what we find is that the major indices actually tend to bottom together on the same day even. And then that trickles down to the individual stock position. So it'll be essential that we kind of time that bottom for the major indices for adding exposure to individual stocks. I think it's okay to hold on to some core long-term positions and ride through this near-term volatility. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You can always hedge exposure from a top-down perspective, but I wouldn't be adding exposure, especially around this earnings volatility that we've seen. All right. Let's say that you have to be in the market. Let's say you're a money manager and you have a mandate to invest right now. Where is the overweight right now in the market? Is there a specific sector or market cap that you think does do better if you've got to put money to work? We are currently overweight the more defensive sectors of the market, as you could imagine. And that includes consumer staples for one, utilities, REITs, probably to a lesser degree, even parts of healthcare look attractive to us in relative terms. And we just this week upgraded energy. And of course, that the energy sector has outperformed already. It's a little bit stretched in the near term, but we have a major breakout in the relative strength ratio of say the Energy Spider or XLE versus the S&P 500. So that suggests that beyond the near term, that that phase of outperformance is sustainable. And if you look at crude oil and also natural gas price charts, they look a lot better kind of than the average stock out there. All right. So the average stock, I want to get into that because because Tesla is one that we've talked a lot about, Katie, in the past. You mentioned before some of those levels here. If we could throw, we should show you a Tesla chart right now. The, 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 the company reported better fourth quarter results. I mean, it's fundamental, but, but it's still something to think about. Revenues were up 65% year on year. Sales from its automotive segment alone popped 71%. Still, though, Elon Musk and company warning supply chain issues will likely persist in the year ahead. And Tesla does not plan on introducing any new models for vehicles in 2022, though they are excited, though, about one thing. In terms of priority of products, I think, the, the, I think actually the most important product development we're doing this year is is actually the Optimus humanoid robot. Um, this I think has the potential to be more significant than the vehicle business over time. All right, Elon Musk, who does as of late not join conference calls, really. Also giving an update on plans for a low-cost EV as well. Uh, so, so, Katie, these are all fundamental things that many traders and investors were listening to during the call yesterday. He talks about optimism about certain parts of the market that he sees and maybe not as much others, at least for the time being. But the chart is at a level right now that some feel is maybe attractive Do you feel the same way about some of the pullback that we've seen in Tesla specifically over the course of the last three to four months from the record highs? 
You know, on the surface, Tesla looks fine from a technical perspective. It's range bound within a long term uptrend. All of the moving averages are pointing higher. However, as reference to the NASDAQ 100 index on the monthly chart, there are some signs of upside exhaustion. We use the DeMarc indicators to gauge that in part, and Tesla is not immune to that. So the message from these signals is that we could see more consolidation, more sort of range bound volatile short-term swings over the coming months, even up to nine months or so from this signal. So we're not expecting major upside or major downside progress for this stock. There's very good support around the 900 level. Very simply, that's based on a breakout point, and that would be a natural place for some buyers to at least temporarily set in, uh, step in. So folks might be able to take advantage of a bounce off at that level. But the stock could go lower than that without actually reversing its long-term uptrend. So I'd give it some room and I'd give it some time. All right. So that's the Tesla side of things. We've also got a big one here. We want to get your take on Apple, the big report to watch after the closing bell today. Disappointing third quarter numbers there. But Apple after a very slow start last year, seemed to really come alive during some of the market volatility that we saw towards the latter half of the year, specifically in the third and fourth quarters. It almost appeared as though, Katie, at some points it became not just a place to play the growth trade and the tech trade, but also a safe haven trade of sorts as well. Is Apple something that's attractive to you, given these levels that you're seeing and the pullback that we've seen just over the course of the last few weeks? Well, it's certainly on Apple's shoulders to get us this oversold bounce in the coming days that we're calling for. It's such a heavyweight in the major indices. And indeed, it has been sort of exhibiting defensive qualities. The uptrend has been a little bit steadier there. We haven't seen massive underperformance during the pullback, or the pullback hasn't been as prolonged, at least. So it is short-term oversold coming into earnings. It is in a long-term uptrend. We're seeing reactions that have been negative from some of its peers sort of in the FANG complex. So there's no guarantees in terms of earnings reactions. But if anything, we think it's set up favorably ahead of earnings. But we might use an oversold bounce or relief rally in reaction to it to reduce exposure for those same reasons cited. So if that's the case here, let's take us through then before we let you go. This growth versus value dynamic in in the market right now, it seems as though growth is coming out of favor. But we know that every time it's done it in the past, it's a relatively short term phenomenon that gets then bought back up again. Do you feel as though 2022 is still going to be about that growth over value trade or does the value trade from the pandemic lows win out? You know, it's funny because last year it wasn't even really growth versus value. It was more large cap versus small cap. So in terms of the factors, I wonder if maybe it's not going to be more neutral um, in terms of their sort of relative balance and relative performance. Um, So I don't think it will be overtly either all about growth or all about value this year. But what we do tend to see is during the downdrafts, during the corrective phases in the market, of which I think the market will be prone to a couple of those this year, we do tend to see growth underperform. So we need to sort of mentally prepare for that because you get investors penalizing the names that look more overbought and you know holding on to the ones that feel more oversold or are closer to valuations that they're comfortable with. All right. Katie Stocking with everything, covering just about everything you can from the chart perspective. Thank you so much. Anything you. and everything that you need to be watching really ahead of the opening bell. Thank you for that, Katie Stockton. Now, let's check on the futures right now because, again, we are showing some signs of stability, as you can see there. 
Okay, just in the last 15 minutes, we are now down implied 100 points for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. The S&P lower by 16 and the Nasdaq down by 61. The volatility continues. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next with U.S. stock futures pointing to the downside. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.